You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Welcome to our second session on Prayers of the Righteous. We're going to look today at the story where Abraham wants to find a wife for his son Isaac, who is by now, we reckon, around 40 years old. And we know um, in, in the culture of the day it was important to find a wife, important to have children, and Abraham waited, had to wait a very long time before he had children, uh, and maybe he's starting to feel that pressure, but he sends his servant out to find a wife for Isaac. And whatever you think of that idea of sending a servant out to find a wife for your children, um, or a husband for your child, that was what happened. So we're not going to get into the cultural thing about arranged marriages or anything like that today. We're just going to talk about how Abraham believed God would guide the servant and the servant prayed a little prayer which I think is important to look at and just to look at some of the attitudes in the whole process and see if we can learn anything um, from this ancient text for ourselves today. Genesis chapter 24. Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, which is an ancient custom meaning we're going to make an agreement that neither of us can break. It sounds a bit weird to us, but put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and, of, and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac." The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Then, so shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you don't take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying... To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the, women, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharayim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, Make me successful today and show kindness to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I might have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant, Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. 
Before he'd finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a beaker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And, she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. The man, sorry, then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Well, first of all, what a task! To be given, put yourself in the shoes of the servant and you are obviously a trusted servant. It says early on that he's the the one that's in charge of everything that Abraham had. Abraham has been blessed in every way by God. So he's rich financially, he's um, got land, he's, um, he's just overflowing with abundance. And so he's got a servant who will look after everything. And I'm sure that's a great responsible task and you can you get the feeling from the way the servant prays that he he loves his his master he loves he, he wants to honor him he's prays to god that god would be be a blessing to abraham through the decisions that were made and um but this this new task that's been given it's one thing to say just manage my estate but to say go and find a wife for my son that's a that's a massive undertaking and then he asks a very simple question but well, what if she doesn't want to come what if i find someone i think is just perfect what if she doesn't want to come um, because he's, he, he's aware that this is a massive thing that he's going to ask this woman to just travel to a foreign land and marry someone she's never met. It's quite a task. And as I said before, Isaac's now over 40 years old, so there might be a little bit of urgency. And, and Abraham's getting old himself, nearing the end of life, and he just wants to see his boy um, fixed up with God's right partner for him. And I think we all have situations, nothing like that, but we all have situations where we need God's guidance on something, something very specific. Maybe sometimes it's to do with moving house, moving job. It might be to do with getting married. It might be to do with universities and all sorts of things that we have to decide. And I think there are a few things in this passage that are sort of hidden that we can dig around about and, and find um, that can help us in some of these decisions. And, and one of the things I sort of wrestled with a little bit was the way that the servant just asks for a sign. Is that okay? 
is it okay? I mean, it's almost as if if, if you're going to take this as a model, you could be saying, well, Lord, I'm going for this job interview, and, and if the... Um, if the interviewer is wearing something green, then I'll know it's of you. And it's like, well, where do you where do you take this? Where do you take this asking for a sign business? So I've got a few thoughts along that line as well towards the end. But the first thing I wanted to say, apart from everything we see today in this story, um, sometimes it's just wise to talk to other people where you're seeking guidance. Um, one of the things I love doing as part of my role is sitting with someone over a coffee and chatting through some of the possibilities they've got. Um, did a lot of training in coaching when I was a teacher and I, I enjoyed coaching other teachers as well as uh, students just talking through not just issues that they have which I'm happy to do as well and talk about their preferred future but also just when there's an opportunity just talking through and they've got options. Uh, I used to love talking with sixth form students when they're deciding what will be their first choice of university. And so it's good to, when we've got these choices to make, it's good to chat to people, people you respect, people you admire, godly people who are going to give you godly wisdom. And sometimes peace can be your guide as well. And I think that's a massive thing. Um, let peace be your umpire. Let, it, let peace guide you. And there's been some times where I've been Andrea and I have been striving towards something or trying to get something and we, the, the closer we get to this decision, the more sort of, the way I've described it sometimes, I just feel dead to that idea now, I just feel dead to it, but I have a piece about not doing it, I have a piece about going a different way and, and other doors have opened up, um, sometimes to do with moving house or um, other decisions in church life, um, so there's lots of ways God guides. But the first thing in this thing I liked was I noticed that Abraham's decision-making and his prayers were based on prior promises from God. So that's my first point. If you were to flick back to chapter 17, we're in chapter 24 at the moment. So if you, flick, if you were able to flick back to chapter 2017, sorry, chapter 17, you'd see that Abraham had had an incredible encounter with God. This was a man who knew the living God in a very special way, in a way that we can know him too, thank Jesus. But in chapter 17 and verse 8, it says, the whole land of Canaan, the whole land of Canaan. This is one guy with a small family. The whole land of Canaan, the whole nation, where you now reside as a foreigner, you're, an, you're like this illegal immigrant, or maybe legal, uh, I will give as an everlasting possession to you that's a huge promise it's not like i'm just going to let you keep this patch of land you're living in now and your your family's going to grow a bit you've got the whole of this land forever it's a big promise to you and your descendants after you and major part of the promise and i will be their god now the moment in canaan there's all sorts of sordid horrible worship of different types of gods at the time so the promise must have sounded like a fairy tale here's abraham he's moved from home he's in a foreign land which has disgusting practices that are nothing like what god would want and god's saying one day son all this will be yours and it's going to be different because it's going to be filled with your family and i'm going to be their god and i believe that this promise influenced two abraham two elements of abraham's instructions he puts down two conditions. don't know if you noticed them as we read it. Number one, don't let Isaac marry a Canaanite. 
Okay, so we, we're talking about praying for guidance, but there's some godly wisdom that we can apply while we're praying. We can pray in line with God's promises, and I believe God's promise led uh, Abraham to say, don't let a- Isaac marry a Canaanite. And the second one is, don't let Isaac leave the promised land. Stay where I've put you. And I just want to unpack those a tiny bit. The first one, don't let Isaac marry a Canaanite. You see it in verse 3. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven. Remember, he's, he's got to put his hand under his thigh. This is a solemn oath. This is a serious thing. This is not just uh, a promise over a couple of drinks. This is kind of um, a serious oath. You've got to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom among whom I am living. So we're living here, but he's not to marry one of these women. We're going to carry on living here. And it would make sense to marry locally, because that's we've been told we're going to live here, we're going to spread out. This is our land. It would make sense to marry a Canaanite woman. And he's a young lad youngish he's 40-ish um, and he's got a very rich dad so he could probably have the pick of the Canaanite women I reckon but God is very oh sorry Abraham is very clear not to do that and I think there was a clear reason for it it was the promise that Abraham had he knew that there was a destiny that God would be the Lord the God of the the Israelites as they would become known as and to marry into the Canaanite um, culture would completely corrupt the influence on their family. Abraham knew the promise that God had made uh, and, and made decisions in line with it. So he says the Lord in verse 7 of our reading this evening in, 20, in chapter 24 in verse 7 it says the Lord the God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who's and who spoke to me and promised me on oath saying to your offspring I will give this Land. It's like Abraham saying, yes, we're living here as Canaanites, but we're not, go, we're not going to absorb their culture. Yes, God's made me rich, and you could have the pick of all the Canaanite girls, but, and yes, God has promised this land to us as an inheritance. So it might seem sensible to marry, but God's got a better way. He's going to be our God. We must not marry into the culture of the day very easy for us to do when we're making decisions we not literally marrying into the culture of the day although i believe that's an unwise choice um, to marry into someone who's not in line with your um, biblical thinking or in line more seriously not in line with your christian commitments um, but sometimes we can we can connect ourselves to social groups or we can become too embroiled in situations in the world and we're supposed to be in the world but we're not supposed to be part of it and there is a danger there and we've we've got a kind of fine line to walk where just like Isaac was meant to marry from the correct family but live in a foreign land in a way that's what we've got to be doing we've got to be adopting customs and practices that suit the family of God and in our decision making in our praying we're praying in line with what suits God's um, ethical standards and God's moral guidance and God's biblical standards but yet while still living in a pagan world. And this principle's seen, um, I think Abraham's got this right because this principle's proven later. Isaac eventually has a son, a couple of sons, but Esau marries pagan women. And they are a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah, it says so at the end of Genesis 26. 
And whenever one of Israel's kings marries outside of God's people, like when King Ahab uh, marries Jezebel, we, we just see corruption seeping in. It's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up and uh, because of gravity in the natural and i think the same sort of thing happens here and and so god had this promise for abraham you're going to live in this land but you're going to you're going to worship me and i want you to honor me in all of your ways and the best way to do that is just don't marry one of these women okay so get the idea um there are common sense values around it might have been common sense um for him to marry a canaanite woman we might have common sense values of things we can do in our lives we might take common sense wisdom off people we work with or know uh, or live nearby um, but we're called to be different we're holy we're called to be separate and that will affect not just our choices but the way we pray about our choices so that was the first condition still thinking about not all my points are this long you'll be pleased to know um, the second condition is don't let Isaac leave the promised land. And he's really just as adamant about this as he is about don't marry a Canaanite. It seems like almost a contradiction. Mustn't marry one of these women, women but he's got to stay near them. He's got to stay here. He says in verse 6 and in verse 8, make sure that you do not take my son back there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you in verse 8, then you will be released from the oath. Only don't take my son back there. It's, it's very clear that Abraham get, gets this instruction. And I just wanted to say, stay in God's will. Stay in God's territory when you're making these decisions, even when you feel desperate and, and you haven't found your wife or you haven't got the situation through the way that you thought would be scripted for you. Um, stay in the territory that you know God has called you to. Go back to what he's last told you. Go back to the last point of guidance that you were aware of and stay in it. And that was Abraham's advice. Keep Isaac in the location that God has called us to. And that might have been a hard decision. And, and sometimes we feel lost and desperate and we, we might revert to the past that God has moved us on from. And that would have been similar to Isaac going back. He might have felt quite comfortable there. There'd have been relatives there. He'd have been very welcomed. He might never have come back. And um, sometimes, again, I've seen people in a similar way. They've, they've, um, they, they've, they've perhaps been... I don't, know, I don't want to overstress that Isaac was desperate for a wife, but he needed a wife. And sometimes we get in a place of desperation or need and we might go, and I've seen it happen, we might go back to an old flame and we split up for a reason. Or we might go back to an old addiction because it's comfortable, it's easier. But we know deep down that that's not God's plan. It's not an uncommon emotion. Um, think about the Israelites when they left Canaan they wanted to go back to Egypt they'd been slaves in Egypt but it must have been so uncomfortable in the desert they'd rather go back because it was comfortable sometimes God does call you back but that's usually when you strayed um, I talked recently about how um, Elijah was told to go back after he'd been in the cave go back to where you came from because I believe his calling was to be uh, near Ahab and challenging Ahab um, sometimes God does call you back, but that's usually because you've strayed. Very often, he calls you just to stay where you are, even when it's uncomfortable. So, Isaac's got to stay where he is. The servant's got to go and bring back a Canaanite woman. It is a big task. But point two, which is really short, is believe God 
will guide you. And sometimes I think we, we kind of say God will guide us and well, whatever God wills, but actually when it comes down to it, do we really believe that in our hearts? Abraham, I think, he instructs his, his, his servant, um, I believe, out of times of prayer, times of encounter with God. Abraham says in verse 7, he will send his angel before you. It's not the sort of thing you say willy-nilly. You've got to have a revelation. Don't just say that to people. God's angel's going to be there. Um, I think Abraham had had plenty of time with God and he had some revelation on that. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Abraham was assured that God would guide. And then I think you kind of feel that sense that of belief that God will guide when you look at Abraham's servant, when he prays, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today. There's a, he wouldn't be praying that if he didn't think he would do. That was in verse 12. And this is in line with the rest of God, God's word. Uh, in Psalm 32, verse 8, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So believe it. If you're not sensing his guidance right now, if you've got a situation where you don't feel he's, um, where, where you just feel he's being silent, just believe his word and speak his word out. Psalm 32, verse 8, Lord, it says in your word, you will instruct me and teach me in the way I should go. So I'm going to trust you. And if I'm not hearing anything now, I don't have to hear anything now. I will wait. Um, and the, the same verse continues, I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I like that ending. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And a famous couple of verses in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. We need to believe that he will guide us. And sometimes we put that belief in action by waiting and trusting and waiting for guidance. But not in the case of this story. My third point is that we ask him to guide us. Ask him. It's one thing to... Uh, believe that he'll guide but I believe this is why I'm talking about this because well, the whole um, series is about prayer and I feel like we've got to ask we've got to ask for guidance and sometimes God's waiting for us to ask again I just read it a minute ago verse 12 the servant prays Lord God of my master Abraham make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham it's been said that there's three steps to asking God's guidance. Number one, to ask. Second, to look for guidance. And then third, to act on it. Sometimes we don't like what we hear. Um, and the servant definitely does this. And we see this strange, maybe strange, maybe not strange to you, um, request about this, what some would call laying out a fleece where that's referring to where Gideon ladies fleece out the tent and was seeking God's guidance. And it was saying if the fleece is wet in the morning but the ground is dry, it means whatever. And then if, if the, the other way around, if the ground's wet and the fleece is dry, you know, Gideon was doing that out of insecurity, I believe. Um, but we call it laying out a fleece. Um, and it's kind of like this guy lays out a fleece. If the woman that I ask to do the water offers to do the camels as well, then let her be the one. Well, is that okay? I don't know what you think about that. Was, is that a safe strategy? I've got a few reasons not to ask for a sign and a few positives about asking for a sign. Uh, and then we'll just try and tie it up with a, a little bit of guidance um, on asking for signs. Because if you're desperate for guidance, 
you're going to start looking for signs. Well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I think you might be. Here's some reason not to. The story of Gideon, Gideon I just told, mentioned, I believe he was asking out of insecurity. Uh, Gideon had already heard from God plenty of times. He had encounter after encounter with God, and he's a trembling wreck. And I'm not criticising him for that. I might have been the same. But all I'm saying is he didn't need another sign. He needed to man up and take action on the instructions God had given him. Um, so that was. A, I don't think the Bible paints that sign-seeking in a positive light. I don't think so. You might disagree, but I don't think so. Second point is, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were condemned for asking for a sign. You see it in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. Um, it's not a good thing to be asking for a sign. This generation seeks a sign, Jesus says disparagingly. And then Paul um, doesn't really show, say a lot about it, but he doesn't show it in a positive light, where in 1 Corinthians he says, Jews demand signs and, G and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's not exactly praising the idea that Jews demand signs. So sign-seeking isn't always wise. But there are some positives. In Isaiah 7, I found, and I'd forgotten this, even though I have honestly read all of the Bible more than once, but you don't remember everything. God told King Ahaz to ask for, for a sign and will be commended for it. So this is getting confusing now. God performed many signs in the Old Testament, didn't he? Like turning Moses' staff into a serpent and you can probably list many others john refers to all of jesus miracles as signs there's seven signs in john all the miracles are called signs and there are meant to be signs accompanying the preaching of the gospel in the book uh, of in mark 16 it's promised so should i ask for a sign or not well the difference i feel between the negatives i, I i've pointed out with gideon and the jewish leaders of the day and and paul not seeing it in a positive light and then the, the other ones that seem more positive is who's who's initiating the sign because in the negative ones it was always the person and there was all sort of self-motivated mm -hmm. Gideon was Gideon was um, insecure the religious leaders had selfish motives um, but in the positive side it was God who told Ahaz to search for a sign. It was, God, it was God who performed the signs in the Old Testament. It was Jesus who did the signs. And the signs accompanying are meant to be accompanying the gospel by the power and inspiration and leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think the argument's stronger that we ourselves are meant to be the sign, not seek for a sign. I would just, just lay caution to asking for a sign um, and whether Abraham's servant was doing the right thing or not, I would say um, these are the early chapters of the Bible and not always wise. But um, be open to signs. Ask for guidance. Ask him for a sign. But let's not call the shots. I think that's the thing I have most problem with is where we're telling God how he's going to guide us. Yeah. Um, let him decide. Let's remember that it is he who is God. Let him decide. If you're asking out of curiosity for a sign, it's rooted in the self and it's just flat out wrong. So let's ask God to confirm what you think he's saying. Let's ask for signs, but let's not tell him how to do it. And then um, it might just be that the Lord inspired the servant to pray that prayer. And it was almost like an interaction with God 
um, that God inspired him to say, well, you know, he was having this dialogue with, dialogue with God and God inspired him to think about the idea of the camels being the ones being watered and that's the girl for Isaac. The final point is that at the end he gives glory to God and it's very easy sometimes where things have gone well to just take a pat on the back for yourself. Sometimes you've been seeking God over an issue and things actually all roll into place finally. And usually when it is God, I know there's, there's often barriers and obstacles and, and demonic opposition at times and all sorts of things, but sometimes it just flows right and you feel like God is leading you and you get to your destination or you're on, or you're on your way and you kind of feel good about things and you forget to give God the glory. And sometimes you can even tell others how well things are going and leave God out of the equation. This is an opportunity. When this is happening, this is not the time to praise yourself. This is an opportunity to share God's goodness with other people. Witness to them. Te testify to other people. Tell others and give God the glory. In verse 27, um, in verse 26, the man bowed at, down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord. God of my master Abraham. He doesn't wait. He's in, still in front of this woman who's probably wondering what's happening. But this guy is worshipping God. Praise God for his guidance. And I would just add in a challenge to praise him for his guidance even when you don't like what he's told you to do. Because sometimes it's not as such a happy piece of guidance that, as, as in this story. Sometimes he tells you to do something quite challenging. Well, thank him, because without him, you wouldn't have been doing that for sure. Thank him that he's guiding you. Thank him that he's speaking to you. Thank him that he's guiding, from a, from a, guiding you from a place where his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than yours. Trust him. Go that route, even if it's uncomfortable. Praise him for stooping to interact in human affairs and guide you through the minefield of the world. But in this case, the outcome, outcome was instantly joyous. So the servant could have said, um, well, didn't I do well there? So let's make sure we always give God the glory, whatever the outcome. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.Church.